Thanks for downloading or purchasing this sermon from Christchurch Forward. To find out more, visit forwardchurch.co.uk or join us on Sundays. Well, it's uh, my very great pleasure to, to introduce you again to, to Pete Scallon, who's uh, with us. And uh, very exciting. So Pete and Lorna have been with us for, uh, for a few weeks now, but it's uh, fantastic uh, Pete, to have you uh, with us. And I'm delighted now to be handing everything over to you. Really good. Yeah, very good. Thanks very much. Thank you, Ben, um, I think, um, and uh, it's, it's, um, it's great to be here. This is my first service station. I know many of you have been to many other service stations, and can I just say, it's just been an absolute joy for me to be here um, on a Saturday morning early and to see so many people here who are willing to give up a, a precious Saturday to, to study God's Word, to think about His people and serving Him. So I've just been so encouraged to be sitting here with you all. So um, thank you. Uh, thank you for your service, for your commitments, and thank you for including me in the work that's going on here. Uh, it's just a great joy to be here. I hope you can all see a, a copy of the third handout. There are spares here at the front of the cons. And um, I've been asked by um, Tim and others, I think, to, to speak about my vision for small groups which, um, which sounds rather grand. Um, and actually what I want to do is to share with you something that I think you all know very well. I don't plan to share anything new this morning, anything um, radical or different. But what I want to share with you from the Bible is what I think you're doing and what I think you all love and care about. But I think it's really important to be reminded um, just what we are doing when we think about small groups, why we're doing it. Um, and... There's a question I want to begin with, which is, are small groups really worth it? Uh, now, you might think it's a funny question, because I'm, I'm preaching to the choir here, you know, we're, we all lead small groups, so we're here on a Saturday morning because we care about small groups, um, and so, of course, we all think that small groups are worth it. And yet, um, I've been involved in small groups, I guess, over the last 15 years in lots of different ways, leading and being a member of, and... I've had some of my best moments as a Christian in a small group, uh, moments of joy and of blessing and a, and a real community and support. But I've also had, I think, some of the hardest times as a Christian being in a small group. Um, sometimes in the very same small group, sometimes in the same evening almost as well. Um, and so I think uh, small groups can be a funny place to serve and minister in. And at times we can wonder, is it really worth it? I'm also aware that we're just on this um, point in the church life where we're, we're going to finish one season of our small groups after three years and we're about to, to change things up and um, in the autumn to relaunch in our new groups. And, and there may just be some here this morning who are thinking, do I have the energy to go through it all again, to get to know a whole new bunch of people, to bring the group together, to get them uh, talking and sharing and to get that dynamic going. Have I got the energy and the passion to do this all over again? I, I just about managed it last time, but now we're doing it all again and our hearts just sink. And so I think it's good for us, um, setting aside my arrival, it's good for us as a, as a group to stop and think afresh again, are small groups really worth it? Have we got a clear vision in our minds why we are doing what we are doing? I want to just uh, give you maybe a chance just in groups, just for a minute or two, to, to, to share. Um, are there moments, and why are there moments when we might doubt whether small groups are worth it? Have, have there been moments in the last three years when we just had a wobble, we wondered? 
Um, why might we doubt that small groups are really worth it? So maybe just in your groups for two minutes, just back around that question. I wonder if anyone wants to shout out anything you're discussing in running groups. You know, why are we sometimes tempted to wonder if small groups are really worth it? Anyone brave enough? Okay, not so much are they worth it, but do I want to lead one? Yeah, thank you. Well, yes, thank you. We can chat later on, yeah. Um, anyone else? being covered again and again and then we have a sense of progress moving forward yeah thank you when it feels like it's the bottom of their priority list so they'll come if there's nothing better on <laughs> yeah I've experienced that when it's the bottom of the priority list yeah that's hard yeah Yes, thank you. That is that's a great positive when someone's welcomed in and, and grows as a new Christian. Um, well, I, I, we'll leave it there for now. But I think it's, it's important to be honest that at times, well, I certainly have just had a wobble, wondered, are small groups really worth it? And um, maybe you're here this morning and you think, actually, I'm having a great time in my group and I'm just loving it. And that's brilliant. I'm not trying to undermine that. But um, there may well be seasons ahead or we've been through them in the past. We wondered why am I doing this? Is it really worth all the effort, the prep, the prayer, the care, and the thoughts um, in this small group? Well, you'd be glad to know that I want to say this morning that absolutely yes, small groups are totally worth every um, tear and a drop of sweat and every sleepless night and every um, hour sacrifice. And I want to... um, say that not by looking at one or two particular sort of proof texts from, from Scripture, but rather to take a step back and look at, um, I think, God's big plan for the world, to get a sense of what God is doing, what he's up to, and see how small groups play a crucial role, I think, in what God is doing um, in this world, um, and to get a real sense of, of being part of something big. And I want to just um, spend our time this morning, what's left of it, in Ephesians, um, a book that I absolutely love, and just look at two passages from Ephesians, um, one in chapter 1 of Ephesians and, and then chapter 4, just to get our heads around um, what's going on. So under the first heading there in the hand, God has a plan for the world, if you can grab a Bible, um, Ephesians 1, verses 9 to 10. Let me just read uh, from verse 9. And he, God made known to us the mystery of his will, according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in Christ, to be put into effect when the times will have reached their fulfilment, to bring all things in heaven and on earth together under one head, even Christ. You see, there is a plan behind history. Uh, God has one big plan that he is working on which has been revealed to us, Paul says, verse 9, to bring all things together under one head, even Christ. Um, One of the things I used to love doing growing up in Scotland was I used to go and watch um, the rugby at Murrayfield, and um, I used to catch the train into the city centre and walk from the station down to the stadium. 
And the stadium would hold about 70,000 people, I guess. And so you can imagine um, the hour before kickoff, there'd be thousands of people streaming down from all the local streets towards the stadium. And um, all travelling because of one common goal. They all wanted to go and watch a game of rugby. And um, it was wonderful as I walked down from the station, about a mile, I guess. There'd be banners and bagpipes and people wearing kilts and chanting and singing and um, a real sense of uh, shared purpose as we all headed down together to watch this one big event. We all had this common purpose in mind. And it's wonderful being part of something big. Some people look slightly and you think, I'm, at, I'm where the action is. I'm, I'm, doing, I'm involved in something that, that, that matters. And so I enjoyed those walks heading down from the station to the, to the stadium. Uh, of course, being a Scottish rugby fan, that sense of enjoyment and buzz lasted about three minutes in the first half. Um, and verily we were losing at that point to whoever we're playing, um, even Italy. Um, and so at the end of the game, I would then trudge back to the station, thinking actually that, that hype, that buzz, that excitement, well, it, it only lasts for a few minutes, just a fleeting glimpse. But actually there's a much bigger movement, a much bigger plan at work in history, far bigger than some sporting events, far more significant, far more enduring, far more... Um, uh, at the centre of the world and it's God's great plan to bring all things together under one head even Christ and as Christians when we um, join the new family of God through Christ we actually enter into that one great plan we are now part of something big something exciting and it is good to belong to something that is exciting and that matters right at the centre of the action uh, we are surrounded in the world by all kinds of narratives, all kinds of storylines that were told matter. Um, there's that narrative of, of global warming and the great crisis facing us and the need to uh, watch our energy supplies and to recycle and to care for the environment. And there's a warning that that narrative will end in, in disaster for the world if we're not careful. Um, there's that narrative of the danger of living in a global village with, with um, different faiths mingling and the, the rise in terrorism and the, the need to be tolerant and, and all that narrative. And then there's the narrative of East and West and rising tensions between the East and West, maybe over the Ukraine. Um, there are lots of storylines and subplots going on in the world, but they are all subplots compared to the one great storyline, which is that God is bringing all things together under one head, even Christ. And in fact, all these subplots, these sub-narratives, one day will all dissolve under this one big storyline. Because that is what God is up to. And so when we think about what really matters in the world, this plan is what matters. God's great plan that he's revealed. And as we sit here this morning, uh, tucked away um, in one little corner of, of one city in this country, we are actually part of the great big plan, the only plan that matters as God is bringing all things together under one head, even Christ. And I hope that that reality excites us. We are part of something big. It, it won't fizzle out like a Scotland rugby match. It won't disappoint us. It won't be an anti-climax. This story will come to fruition. God will achieve this plan. Of course, the question then becomes, well, how will this plan become a reality? It's a big plan, it's a big world, there are lots of different bits to it. How is God, God going to bring all things together? 
Well, I, ha- I haven't got time to go through all the Ephesians. You'll be glad to know that we won't do that. But just quickly, in, in, in Ephesians, as we look through the first three chapters, you know the book well. But actually, um, Paul shows us that in those first three chapters, the cross brings enemies together. Uh, in the vertical, it brings uh, us, our sinners, who are by nature object of wrath. It brings us to God. We are reconciled to God through the cross. And on the horizontal, it brings enemies together, Jew and Gentile. The great dividing wall is broken down. Which means that as we sit here this morning and look around at the horizontal, we have all been brought together. No matter what our backgrounds or our particular views, we've been brought together because of the cross. And actually, this is a snapshot of how the cross works. The cross brings people together. And if you like... We are a window into how God's plan works. God uses his church centered around the cross as a picture and as a vehicle of of how he brings his plan to effect, brings the world together. So the cross brings enemies together. That's the message of the first three chapters of Ephesians. But then Ephesians 4 verse 1, suddenly the tone changes. And I wonder if you can grab a Bible again and we'll flick forward and spend the rest of our time in Ephesians 4. Um, But notice uh, 4 verse 1, how Paul begins this next section. Ephesians 4 verse 1, he says, As a prisoner for the Lord then, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. You see, the cross um, calls us to be part of a new family, a new people. We've been called into God's family. And now Paul says, I want you to live a life worthy of that calling, uh, to be, that calling to be part of God's great big plan to bring all things together under one head, even Christ. Uh, we are now called to live a life worthy of that plan, of that calling, of that cross dynamic. And that applies to each of us here this morning, including myself. We've been called to live a life worthy of that calling, to be part of God's people and part of the mechanism by which God brings um, the world together under one head, even Christ. Um, the, the one story that's been in the news a lot recently is this whole idea of the new um, HS2 uh, high-speed rail line. Um, the plan is to run it up from London through Birmingham, then on up uh, further north. And um, it's this huge, great plan that's been uh, thought up and jumped up, and it's been announced. This is what's going to happen. But of course, after it's been announced, there's been a huge question. Well, well how will it actually work? Where will the line actually go? How much will it cost? Will it be efficient? Will it actually help the economy? All kinds of questions of, of, well, hang on, does this plan actually work? Well, actually, God's announced his great big plan to bring all things together under one head. And the question is, well, how will it work in practice? Will it, will it actually work? And I think the answer in Ephesians is that it works as God's people, the church, live out their calling to be uh, the new people. So look at how Peter O'Brien puts it in his excellent commentary on Ephesians, which I find very helpful. He, uh, he writes this. The building of the body is inextricably linked with Christ's intention of filling the universe with his rule, since the church is his instrument in carrying out his purposes for the cosmos. Do you see it? As God's church lives as God's people, as God intends the church to live, so God's people then fulfill God's great plan to fill the cosmos with his rule. And so we are part of a big plan this morning. We are called to be his people, 
to, to be a part of bringing all things together under one head, uh, even Christ. So that's, that's, the, that's the, the background, the big picture. In fact, that, that's what church is about in many ways. It's about being God's people, living out his calling, bringing everyone together under one head. And so I want to spend um, the rest of our time looking at Ephesians 4 and just looking at how this plan will advance in a local church. Think through what it means to be a people who are part of God's plan, living out that calling as he calls us to. And I think as we look at Ephesians 4, we'll see how uh, small groups and personal relationships play a crucial role in us being the people God wants us to be, to fill his world with his rule. Um, so that's where we're going. So um, next heading, in Ephesians 4, God's plan advances, uh, first of all, as God's people unite together. Uh, let me just read Ephesians 1, sorry, 4, verses 1 to 6 again. So Paul writes, As a prisoner of the Lord, then, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. So I think here we get a picture of how God's people are to live together. And uh, as people, as God's people, we are called to unite together. Remember, God has got a plan to bring all things together under one head. And so he calls his people to be a place of unity as we come together, united under the headship of Christ. And, and Christian unity is a funny thing. In one sense, we are already united. You notice um, verse 4, uh, Paul says we are already um, united. Uh, we have um, one hope. We have one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God. In one sense, we are already united as God's people. At, um, I'm brand new to, to Sheffield and the Fullwoods, and I don't know many of you very well, but um, I know that I am united with you. I, I just know that because I've talked to you, and I've sensed that you, know, you follow Christ, you put your trust in Christ, I have as well. And actually, it's wonderful. I don't know you very well, but we are united. I stand here this morning united with you, and I look forward to getting to know you guys better, but I already know we are united because of Christ. We are, we are in Christ, we are united. So on one hand, we are united, but Paul also says that we must work hard to be united. There's that sort of funny tension between what we already are and what we need to be. And so um, I'm looking at verse uh, 3. He says, make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. In other words, we must work hard to be unified. Um, The best illustration I can think of is uh, families. I don't know about uh, your family experience, but... um, so in my family, I've got three siblings, and um, we are a family. Uh, I was born into a family, and um, that is my family. That is a reality. They are my family. But of course, we can act in a way which doesn't look like family. We can live a long way apart. We can never phone one another. We can never talk to one another. We can never engage one another. We can never care and support one another. We can live separate lives and pretend that we're not family. And yet, we are still family. There's that sort of tension between what we are and how we behave in practice. And I think that tension is is helpful in Ephesians 4. Paul says that you are united as God's people, which is is true and right, but we have to live out our calling to be united. We have to act 
that way. We have to live out our unity in practice. And it can be hard to be united. It can be tough. I look at uh, verse 2. Paul says, Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. It can be hard to be united in practice. I think the kind of unity Paul wants us to, to aim for in practice is a different kind of unity from the world. We're not to be like the world in our unity. Uh, the world says that birds of a feather flock together. You know, if, if football is your thing, then go down the hill on a Saturday. If hill walking is your thing, then go up the hill on a Saturday. And you'll find people who are like-minded and you can find some kind of unity in that hobby or activity. You know, birds of a feather flock together. So um, the world can unify. Um, the world can create communities and friendship, but it's around sort of common likes and habits and hobbies. But we are called as God's people to unify, not around personalities or hobbies or particular styles, but we are called to accept everyone, whatever our background, and to unify around Christ. And actually, Paul says back in Ephesians 3 verse 10 that the world is how God shows the watching powers and authorities his wisdom. And as the world sees the church unifying in a way that the world doesn't unify, that is one way the world realizes that the cross is powerful and that God is wise. So we are called to be a people who unify in a way the world doesn't unify, not around hobbies and personalities, but around the cross. Um, and I think this means that it's not enough just to rock up for one hour on a Sunday and to call that unity. Um, I, uh, my parents used to um, want to make me cultured and to have a broad uh, sort of upbringing, and they used to drag me along to lots of concerts, uh, classical music concerts, when I was younger. And um, I'm very sorry if that's your thing this morning, but when I was younger, it just wasn't my thing. As a young boy, I hated um, classical music con- uh, concerts. But I never had an argument or a fight with anyone at a classical music concert. We sat in our rows, and we used to watch a performance, and we'd be there for an hour and a half, and then we'd leave again. And not once, I've been to dozens, not once did I have an argument or a fight with anyone at a classical music concert. And the reason why I never had a fight was I never talked to anyone. I didn't know anyone. I just rocked up, I had my ice cream, I listened to the performance, I sat in my row, and I left again. You see, unity at that level is easy when you don't know anyone. You never have any fight or any problem. You don't fall out with anyone. And if our expectation of church life, church family, is simply to rock up on a Sunday and sit in our row, have a cup of tea, and then go home again, and not to actually engage anyone, well, that's easy. We'll never have any friction, any problems, any, any fights. That kind of unity is dead easy. But it's when you get to know people, well, that's when it's harder. Um, when you get to know what I'm like with my sort of rough edges and funny quirks and, and so on, I mean, just ask my wife, Lorna, and she'll tell you... Um, and actually, what I think Paul has in mind here, and I said this in verse 2, is he expects there to be a people who have come together close enough to know each other and to start annoying one another. To start actually sharing lives together where the, the real selves come out and they can't hide behind the sort of image management of a Sunday morning when they're real. And that's why he says, be patient, bear with one another. That, that, that's not hard at a, at a concert to bear with one another. They're just sitting there quietly doing nothing. But it's when we start voicing our opinions, start um, letting the real selves out, that's when we have to go back to verse 2 and say, okay, this is hard. I know I'm united, but I've got to work at this now. And so I think Paul is describing a 
a quality of community, a quality of unity, which is not like the world, um, which is not just Sundays. It, I think it has to be a unity which, which is tighter, which is deeper, which is more profound, and which is more messy. And yet I think the message of Ephesians 4 is that as we live out our calling to be a, a united people in all the messiness of our lives, God's plan takes a step forward. Because gradually, slowly, yet wonderfully, all things are being brought together under one head, even Christ. Are you with me so far? Is that making any sense? Well, let's press on. Um, so first, God's uh, plan advances as God's people unite together. And then the second half of Ephesians 4, God's plan advances as God's people grow together. Um, I won't read all of uh, the next section, but let's pick up um, Paul's thoughts um, at verse 11 of Ephesians 4. Paul says, It was he, Jesus, who gave some to be apostles, some to be prophets, some to be evangelists, and some to be pastors and teachers, to prepare God's people for works of service, so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God, and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Then we will no longer be infants, tossed back and forth by the waves, and blown here and there by every wind of teaching, and by the cunning and craftiness of men and their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will in all things grow up into him who is the head, that is Christ. From him the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love, as each part does its work. Famous words about church life from Paul, but they are glorious words. It's a a wonderful picture that Paul paints for us here in in Ephesians 4. Look look how it works. There's a diagram across the page. Um, So uh, verses 11 to 13... Uh, the, the people grow and the body grows first by word ministry I think um, Paul mentions uh, five different um, people, apostles, prophets evangelists, pastors, teachers I think uh, for what it's worth that the apostles and prophets uh, they refer to the once and for all uh, office of those who established the church who were the, the foundational people um, in the life of the church and I think I go back to um, Ephesians 2 verse 20 as Paul describes um, who he thinks those apostles and prophets are, a once and for all role. But their work, their ministry of, of giving us God's word once and for all, then helps the next three do their work, the evangelist, the pastor and teacher, as those who go on proclaiming that once and for all word to God's people in the present day. And it's those word ministers taking God's word to God's people. They are the, 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 the platform, the, the lifeblood for God's new people. They are the ones who are foundational and key. Which is why I'm not a big fan of um, churches that are, that are cell churches. You know, the kind of church that only ever meets midweek in a small group and never gathers together as a big church for, for public preaching. I think it doesn't fit Ephesians 4 for me. That we need to come together as God's people and to hear God's word taught um, by pastors and teachers publicly and by evangelists as a body together because that's where the foundation is set for everything else that happens but you notice then what happens is that as the word goes out well the people are equipped 
for service. It's a wonderful picture of, of, of a few people speaking forth and then everyone then equipped to go off and do their particular act of service. And then look what happens. As everyone serves, the body then is built up. And all of us together, we become um, greater in our unity and our knowledge, our maturity and our fullness in Christ. And so you see, as God's people grow together like this, then God's plan to bring all things together under Christ takes a step forward because we are growing in our fullness in Christ. Well, look at how um, Paul goes on in verses 14 to 16. He, he thinks of a, of a child or children who, who just go from one um, game to the next game, who are constantly just flitting back and forth from one activity to the next. They can never settle. They're always being distracted and they, they never quite know what's, where they should be. Uh, uh, these, these children uh, are, are Christians who, who don't have um, their anchor put down. They are misled by people who are cunning and deceitful. And there are people out there, false teachers, who would mislead God's people. And so what we need instead to become a mature person, not a child but a mature person, is those who speak truth and love to us. The opposite of a cunning and deceitful word. We need people who speak truth to us in love. And when we get that right as God's people, as each part does its work, that's when we grow as God's body. And as we grow, so God's plan to bring all things together takes a step forward. So there is a a very quick snapshot of what it means, I think, for God's people to live out our calling to be a part of the really big, the one big plan that dominates world history, God's plan to bring all things together. And so I want to just um, finish by spending maybe just 10 minutes or so thinking about what this means for small groups here at Christchurch. I'm just trying to earth some of this uh, in, in reality. And um, you'll see some of the points there in the handout as we finish. So I mean, the, the obvious point there at the beginning is God's one big plan advances through his body in the church. That's what we've been saying this morning. That It's not a question of us sitting back and watching as Christians, hoping that someone else achieves that plan or that God somehow you know, clicks his fingers and the plan comes to be. No, it's through his people, us here this morning. That, that's how God's going to do it. Um, that's our role. And um, it means that as members of the body, it's not really about us. It's not about me standing here this morning, Pete. Uh, it's not about our particular groups or our particular role as leaders. Um, it's about the body coming together and growing and furthering God's plan. So I think uh, Ephesians 4 tells us that it's not about one particular person. That, that's not how God's plan is going to come about. It's going to come about through the body, all of God's people, as we come together. I think next, um, I don't mean to be controversial, I, I don't think it is controversial, but preaching is essential, but not sufficient. Look, I, I am passionate about preaching, and I, um, I care a lot about preaching, but I hope we can see that preaching on a Sunday is absolutely essential, but is not sufficient for God's body to grow how God intended to grow. Because God's body also has to include service, every member working. Um, I think it involves um, everyone, I think, speaking the truth in love. Um, 
Paul, I think, three or four times talks about we in Ephesians 4, not me or I, but we, as we do this together, that's how the body grows. And I think there's a sense in which we all need to speak the truth in love to one another. So I think it's not just uh, the preacher at the front on a Sunday and then the kind of the audience sitting out there watching and consuming, then that's it for the week. But rather it's the preacher speaking and equipping and then throughout the rest of the week it's God's people speaking the truth in love to one another and that's how the body grows. I think that's the picture. And so uh, we need to be in a place where other people can speak truth to us in love and where we can speak truth to them in love. And I think that takes time. Um, it takes time to know um, what other people need to hear, to know where they're coming from. And it takes time to express love, um, to um, convince people that you're on their side, that you're not there just to kind of score a point theologically, but that your input and, and advice is out of a heart of love for them. And that dynamic of trust and love takes time to grow. I think there's a sort of a season here Paul has in mind. Um, and so I think we need to be a church that speaks the truth in love, not just on a Sunday, but throughout the week to one another. Next, um, a Facebook community is not enough. Um, you know how Facebook works, I guess most of you probably. Um, Facebook is a great way to let the world know about your life. Uh, you can post updates about how you're washing a dog or what you're eating or all that kind of stuff. It's wonderful. You can put pictures of, or um, uh, text updates of what you're doing. And at one level, it feels like you are bringing the world into your life and your life into the world. You're communicating wonderfully to everyone and there's a transparency and an, an immediacy to that communication. So you might think, well, Facebook is wonderful because it, it opens up the community. But here's the thing about Facebook. People use Facebook to tell the world what they want to tell the world. They manage what goes out. They don't show every picture. They don't give every single insight. Only the ones they want to show the world. And my experience with Facebook is that most people don't tell the world the messy bits. The disappointments, the failures, the bits they've got wrong. See, a lot of my friends, just their lives seem to be wonderful on Facebook. They're always going from one strength to the next. And I think, oh, I wish I was them. Because they're doing so well and I'm, I'm not. And you see, as a Christian community, we need to get beyond Facebook big time. Um, which I think means getting beyond the Sunday facade of, you know, um, I mean, this happens. You know, people, you, you could be, your marriage could be on the rocks. You could be having agony at home. And you come on a Sunday and someone says, oh, oh how are you doing? And you know that they don't expect more than a one-line answer. So you say, I'm doing great, thanks. How are you? And they say, wonderful, thanks. And you move on. Uh, that's, that's Facebook community, isn't it? That's just headlines. That's just edited versions. And how can we get beyond that in order to speak the truth in love into people's hearts and minds where they really need it? Well, it must be through real community. And I don't know how you get that in a large church only on a Sunday. I think it has to be through um, other interactions. And I don't know about you, but I, I can't remember every single... You know, if I had to get to know every single one of you, 700 people in intimate detail. I couldn't keep all that in my head at once. I'll try, but I can't. So we need to break it down into manageable communities. We need to be able to kind of manage people's prayer requests and needs in our minds. And I just think it's an obvious conclusion. We need to have communities that are small, that are deep, that are meaningful, that get beyond Facebook, where we feel we trust people enough to tell them, actually, my marriage is on the rocks, 
or I'm struggling with my children or whatever it is. And we know that they love us and that they'll speak truth to us. I think that's the picture of Ephesians 4. Which I think means next that uh, growth is a community project. Um, Paul says in verse 16 that it is as each part does its work, so the body grows. Um, I wonder if, you, if you've read um, this book. It's called The Pursuit of Holiness. So I haven't got a big picture of it. Um, it's been out, I guess, 25 years or so. Uh, it's one of the first books I remember reading as a young Christian. And it's an excellent book on how to grow uh, as a Christian, how to, to, to pursue holiness. I love the book. I hate the cover. I don't know if you can see the cover. Um, it's a white swan just floating there on the surface of the pond. And it looks beautiful and it's calm. And the thing I don't like is it's on its own. It's one swan on its own. And I think I might say that swans are quite lonely creatures. They might have a pair, but they don't go around in big groups. And there's a swan just floating along, managing just fine on its own. I think the point is that it's white, and when to become pure white, maybe like a swan, I don't know. But I think the message is wrong. You see, our pursuit of, of holiness, our pursuit of growing up into Christ, it is not a lone game. We are not to be lone swans swimming around on the pond, somehow finding a way. That is not the picture of Ephesians 4. On our own, the warning is we will not grow. We will not mature. We will not be part of God's plan to bring all things together under one head. I think we need people who can spot whether we are being misled, like little children. Um, you know, if, if we're being tossed around by the latest idea or doctrine, whether we're being misled by a false message in the media or a lie from the world. We need people to say, hang on, you're just running around like a child. I love you enough to tell you, I think you need to stop running and settle on some truth. But again, that, that is a community project. You know, this, this swan, just on its own, will never have someone say, you're in the wrong pond or you're going the wrong direction. And I need that. Um, I, I need people here at Christchurch to, to look at me and say, look, I love you but also I want to walk with you and to help you. Uh, I think growth is a community project. And also what I want to say here is that I think communities are where we spot people's gifts. Uh, when I was a, a young, nervous first-year student um, up at Durham, um, I had a wonderful plan for my life, which was to be an engineer. I had it all worked out. I loved engineering. I was studying engineering, and I was going to do engineering. And in my first term... I joined a student Bible study, and um, I was a Christian, and I enjoyed it. But at the end of the first term, the guy leading it said to me, oh, Pete, do you want to go for a coffee? And I said, okay, fine. I didn't understand coffees at that point. And, um, <laughs> and he said, Pete, yeah, I've just, I've just seen you in our group for the last time, and I just wonder if, if you would be willing to lead the little college senior group next year. I think, I think you could do it in God's strength. I had no idea that was on the agenda for the coffee. I, I'm an engineer. I don't do that kind of thing. Um, that's not what I'm about. Um, and actually, that's kind of what I said earlier initially. But he was persistent. He said, no, I, I, think, I think you've got something. I, I think you, you should try it. You see, I would never have tried leading a CU group at college. It was just a little handful of us. It wasn't a big thing. I would never have done that unless someone had said to me, yeah, I think you should give it a go. It was just not on my radar. And here I am now. Um, <laughs> But you see, I think as a community, we are well-placed to see other people's gifts and to see how they might be able to serve, actually in a better way than they can see it. 
And um, yeah, actually, the biggest way people start serving in a large church is a tap on the shoulder or a coffee or just like a gender conversation. Yeah, yeah, I think you'd be great um, just with the children's work in the morning. I think you've got, you've got something about you. You'd be great at that. Or, you know, you've got a real gift of encouragement. I think you'd be great just on a welcome team or, or just helping people. Um, you know, you're just such a great team player. You're just you're cheerful, you're serving hard. I think it'd be great just, you know, working in the kitchen. Have you ever thought of working in the kitchen, just joining the kitchen? Whatever it is, but so often in our English, you know, um, kind of humility, we, we don't put ourselves forward. But I think as a community, as we get to know one another and we see each other's gifts, actually we can, we can play a role in saying other people, look, you may not think this, but I think it, and actually why don't you try it? And as leaders here this morning, actually you've got a wonderful role um, to, to be those tapping on shoulders. If you see someone in your group who's just great at something, who's just got a gift for it, they may not know it, but actually in a small group it can be spotted. And so I think growth is a community project. And just as we finish... Um, the health of every member matters. I think you know, Ben mentioned this as well. It's not a percentages game. You know, it's not about getting sort of 60% of the people who come to church kind of across the finish line or trying to make sure that we're 80% healthy as a, as a church. That's just the wrong way to come at it. We are our body, and if the toe hurts, the toe hurts, the whole body hurts. You know, we are all linked together. We're not trying to sort of just get some people into a healthy position. We all need each other to be healthy. And so we need everyone, I think, to be in small groups so that we can know everyone and care for everyone because that's, that's the scope of God's great plan, to bring all things together under one head. And so what I'm passionate about is, is getting as many people as possible into those kind of communities during the week where truth and love is spoken, where we can grow up as God's body. Not because it's my idea or because I have a particular hobby horse, but I think it's because God has a great plan for the world to bring all things together under one head even Christ. So there is nothing new, but there I think is a, a snapshot of church life. I think if you like a vision for small groups, small groups I think are a place where God's great plan for the universe can take a step forward as we speak the truth and love to one another, as we unite despite our messiness and our oddities, um, as we help each other serve, and as we keep each other from being like little children tossed around but rather angry in Christ. Um, I really look forward to, um, to serving with you guys and getting to get to know you better. Um, I know some of you will need to step down for good reasons as we come to the end of our cycle and begin the next cycle. Um, but for those of you who are right to stay on, um, I'm looking forward to serving with you. And I, I'm really excited about the awesome and what lies ahead because I am passionately convinced that small groups, that kind of community, is one of the great ways that God's people grow and his plan is fulfilled. So I look forward to uh, working with you on that. Let's pray as we finish. Father, we thank you that you haven't left us clueless about what you are doing in the world. And we thank you that you have told us how we need to play our role in that great plan. Father, we thank you that plan, it's a glorious, wonderful, beautiful plan to bring all things together. And we pray that here at Christchurch, you would help us to be increasingly a church, a people, a body that brings that plan step by step um, into being. Father, please help us to be a community where truth and love are spoken, where your body grows, and where the least, the last, the lost are brought in and loved and are equipped to serve. We pray this for your glory. Amen.
Well, I think that's the end of our, our sort of official time together this morning. Um, Tim, I don't know, are there any particular notices we need to give? I, I should just say that, um, as you all know, I'm, I'm aware that now that you know, we are indeed um, coming to an end of our three-year cycle, and in the next um, week or so we'll be um, just issuing um, letters to everyone, just informing them uh, of the fact that we are indeed finishing the current groups and that we'll be relaunching new groups um, over the summer, and they will start in earnest come September. So that is happening. Um, I know it's always a difficult time of change, and there'll be uncertainty about which groups will change and who will be in new groups. Um, if you're at all confused or worried, come and grab me, and I'll then pass you on to Tim or someone else, and they can help. But um, as a team, as a core team, we're, we're, we're very aware of the need to get this right and to think it through carefully. Um, but we are going ahead. We are making the change, and we think it's a good thing, a good way for the body to grow. So do come and um, chat to us as the core team if you need to chat. Um, do stay and just have a chat with those you've been talking to over um, coffee this morning. Um, but thank you for coming this morning. It's been great to be here with you, and I appreciate you giving up your time. Thank you.